0: All right. Welcome to Hair of the Dog. Follow Simone as she recounts the shenanigans of her life and family. From heartache, narcissism, bigamy, fraud, abandonment, a coke-dealing uncle, hookers, and death. Sorry, no to Ed hookers yet. This hilarious raw dog accounting from Simone, a southern belle from Louisiana, will make you peer pants in laughter and unbelief. Join us as we discover that if there is a comedic southern American gothic family, It is indeed Simone's family. I'm your co-host, Tony. I have been friends with Simone with a number of years, and now finally I get to share the entire world, the stories of Simone with all of us. Simone, tell us a little bit about yourself and what has brought you here with us.
1: Okay, I did not prepare for this part, but hey, y'all, I'm Simone. Um, I am from New Orleans, Louisiana, and I now live in the Pacific Northwest, and Um, What brought me here is the fact that anytime I share any tidbit of any part of my life with anyone, they kind of respond with like, wow, that's a fever dream or wow, that's crazy or wow, you should write a book or wow, where's the documentary. So at some point I decided to why not just kind of document and compile all this craziness together and some people might enjoy it, and some people might find it comforting and dealing with crazy, complex family situations, and also to like raise awareness of just like crazy shit that can happen in someone's life. So, yeah, so lots of crazy stuff have been happening, and there is a really, really crazy situation kind of currently in the mix. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, awesome. So, in future episodes, we'll talk about separate pieces of your life and your family's life, such as your, not only your father, but your grandfather, and then your (laughs) great-great-grandfather being bigamous, meaning for those who are not familiar with that term, having multiple wives and or multiple, you shall say, baby mamas out there. Mm -hmm. So it's quite the extensive family situation. And it's not
1: tied in a religion. Like nobody was more, we're all Catholic. So it's not tied to anything. It's just this you know, they just wanted to have their cake and eat it too. So.
0: (laughs) Hey, I guess they're just following the first commandment is uh, reproduce. (laughs) So, all right. Tell us about the current situation that you are in.
1: Well, I hope y'all like the plot of Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon, because there's a lot of of similarities. Okay. So my father had a living caregiver. And due to ongoing legal proceedings, I will not share this person's name or any identifying markers about them. Um, We'll just be referring to them as the caregiver. So I think that's going to be a trend with this podcast, just with all the ongoing legal stuff, is that we'll just kind of refer to them as their archetype or, you know, title, as you will. So I have never met this caregiver. This living caregiver, who is also my father's first wife from the 1970s, yeah, that's gonna be a whole nother thing. Um, But she's listed as a caregiver on legal documents such as his death certificate. And there's just gonna be more on all this later, don't worry. So she is the defendant in a lawsuit that I filed because she committed fraud based on documentation that was given to me by a whistleblower from human resources from a company that is a major global oil company. So it shows that my dad's beneficiary account was accessed after his death multiple times and that this person changed beneficiary designations. This caregiver also fraudulently claimed that her adult child was my father's biological child even though she had signed an affidavit confirming her adult child is not the adoptive or biological child of my father. So then there are some like weird elements, like she won't give me my father's ashes, but she did send me the blanket he died in. So yeah, insane. This is like what I like to call lifetime movie shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, knowing my dad and the way he lived, he had a very carefree lifestyle. I am not surprised I'm in this situation. I always anticipated things would blow up after he died, but I didn't expect it to be quite like this. Um, So my attorneys and anyone that has touched this case have all said they've never seen anything like this before. And I'm like, God, if I had a dollar for any time anyone said that to me, like I could pay my legal fees like easily, easily. Everyone has said it. So, um, yeah, there's the lawsuit. The police are investigating. Multiple state bodies are investigating, such as Adult Protective Services, for example, so I can't really speak much about the police investigation, but I can say they are investigating deeply on a wide variety of concerns they had with the caregiver.
0: Oh, yeah. Not an, only those state agencies, but my understanding also some maybe some federal agencies as well.
1: Oh, yeah, of <laughs> so, course.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like take it all the way to the top. So that uh, you've mentioned your father many, many times. So tell us about your dad and how is he the core figure? In this whole t- hurricane, <laughs> since you are from Louisiana. <laughs> figure into all this being the eye of the storm we he might is say. the eye
1: of the storm he's the eye of the storm all his actions are like the eye wall so in a hurricane you know the eye of the storm's kind of like a signal of like the worst part of the storm which is the eye wall so i'm like he's the eye of the storm his actions are the eye wall so my dad was a really complicated man he was very wild very dynamic insanely insanely intelligent very charming um a lot of people that have known my dad speak about how charming he was how he had a nice voice and how pleasant he was and how they just loved having him around but he could be really cruel at times so he was a very haunted and broken person you know people are complex so i don't really know always where to begin to explain him um he had complicated family dynamics so as you mentioned his dad was a bigamist uh his grandpa was And, you know, as a result of his father abandoning his family, his mother just kind of, you know, had some mental health needs and my dad wound up in foster care. And so he was really abused and just experienced a lot of tragedies at a very young age. And so I'll share more about that in future episodes. But basically, by the time he met my mom, he was already a very Damaged, haunted person who definitely had narcissistic personality behaviors. Even gosh, I think he was about 26 or 27 when he met my mom. And he had addiction issues that just kind of ebbed and flowed throughout his life. But he also sustained a really remarkable career with a major oil company and he traveled all over the world. He worked mainly um, on oil platforms in Nigeria, but he would also go to like Siberia, Korea, Saudi Arabia. So he. Did a really amazing job with his career, especially being a person that never barely graduated high school, you know, because of so much turmoil in his home life to really like soar and do so well with his career. So it's really remarkable kind of seeing those um, different parts of him. Um, But, you know, when you're in the oil industry, you reach a certain age where you're too old to be on an oil platform and you become a liability. So they basically put those old boys out to pasture and they have these identity crises because that's I mean, my dad started working for Chevron in like 1974, five, and he never retired. So his date of death is his retirement from a major oil company. So consider those numbers, that that was his life. So he was retired off the oil rig, and he just kind of had a mental breakdown and slipped very deeply into narcissistic behaviors, and that was all to cope, essentially.
0: Yeah, you see a lot of the same way. Uh, I used to be active duty army, and you'd see the same thing with people who'd retire, and after a number of years, they would just slip into depression and anxiety because they lose that very deep identity of being in the military, that is their entire life, even though they may have... A couple of broken marriages their children are estranged from them and they just put their whole life into an entity that gives uh, asks for so much but gives very little and at the end they may spend 20 to 30 years in it and then they just sort of wither away and it's just something that um,
1: that's not talked about to be honest oh yeah there's a lot of comparisons between the military and oil industry because my dad saw some crazy shit in africa really like bad stuff so it's like there's trauma then there's like the shift of identity you're so used to a specific routine structure group of people that you're working with and then all of a sudden it's just like okay you're out
0: yeah and then it's like okay what else what else can i like do i've had my identity wrapped up in this
1: i've only done this for you know since 1974 or whatever he had done it for so it's just like that was really tough on him and it it kind of was the the start of him making a long series of bad choices.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, but those series of bad choices did not begin with him um, basically being retired from the oil platforms. My understanding that your experiences with his bad decisions happened when you were a very young age.
1: Yes, yes. So when I was 14, he initially abandoned the family and he disappeared for like four years and there was like total radio silence, you know, and obviously, you know, that can be a future episode, but you know, we did try to connect to him. We did reach out to him and we didn't know where he was. We didn't know what he was doing. You know, we just didn't know anything. And then so four years go by and then all of a sudden he just comes back and he does, you know, I'm sorry, I would like to be a family again. And we were open to that. We were very open to that because, you know, we loved him, like despite all of his, you know, issues, we loved him. Um, But then after a few months, he left again and there was silence again. And we were all kind of like, yeah, you know, okay, okay. (laughs) Then he comes back, right? So he comes back a second, third time, however you want to look at it. And, you know, again, we welcomed him back because we loved him. And then one day in 2012, it was November, 2012, a woman called my mom from my dad's cell phone. And at that time, my dad had been working in an office in Houston and it was, And he was coming up here to visit us like every weekend and things like that and he was planning on retiring and then moving up here to be with us right or we flirted with the idea of moving to texas you know that we were working on becoming like a family unit and uh that kind of came to a halt one rainy pacific northwest day november 2012 where my dad's cell phone called my mom and she thought nothing of it he was calling her so she opens up her phone and she says hello And this woman on the other line says, who are you? And my mom's like, "Um, I'm Patrick's wife. Who are you? You know, like curious. The lady got really pissed, like really pissed. I heard this conversation and she just kept screaming, no, I'm his wife. Who are you? I am his wife. Who are you? So finally, my mom's like, enough of this. She hangs up and she calls my dad at his work phone. And she's like, your other wife called? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and then you
0: know said, just your other wife
1: yeah yeah I just chatted with your other wife and so then my dad fled Houston and he came up here because he didn't know if he was going to be arrested like charges like he had no idea of what could happen he just knew what he he got caught it was illegal and he needed to get out which he did so
0: yeah like that is like a whole crazy episode story that we'll talk about in the future but t- concerning about narcissists especially those who are unhealthy narcissistic tendencies like this reminds me of my own former wife's like experiences with me is that they generally like to share stories and the future and paint you a picture of how it might be but it's definitely not in the here and now in the present like they like to paint these rosy pictures like just what you're dented tangle that carrot always in front of you But that that carrot is not fresh, it is rotten (laughs) to the core, and it does not taste good. And you never get it, and you always get these little pieces in the highs and lows, especially in the highs, like all that love bombing happens. Oh yes, I want to be a family again, I'm here for you, let's do this together, we're going to be a family, everything else then disappears. Or, like in this case, something else happened when he's actually...
1: His narcissistic backup plan, like his supply, like suddenly came to fruition. So yeah, he was still legally married to my mom and was married to this woman. And apparently he found this other woman online and learned that she had stage four lung cancer, which is what my father later passed away from. And the irony is not lost on any of us. Um, But he thought he could marry her and that she would die. He could inherit her house, her assets, and no one would know the difference. And that's not me speculating. That's literally what he told me. So when I asked him like, yeah, dad, why did you do that? You know, question mark. He just said, I grossly miscalculated. I didn't think anyone would know the difference. I thought her time was ticking. And I was just like, oh, (laughs) Okay, you know, I, I
0: grossly you know, miscalculated Yeah,
1: that was, you know, we joke about that. So now as a family, if we kind of mess something up, we just go we grossly miscalculated. Um, because it's just a running joke. But it's just like, you know, when you think about that, that's really cold. That's manipulative. So manipulative. It's crazy. But you know, this will be a whole episode, maybe a couple, but he was arrested and it got really fucking ugly for my family. Like I was in college when all that happened, everything exploded. And these people that this woman, he had married her and her kids were harassing me and my mom. I've got, you know, at this point, I think I can share all those audio clips I have. Why not? You know? So I'll never forget walking into a class at my university and just passing a classmate and their laptop was open. And I remember seeing the article about my dad's arrest, like his mugshot, which ain't cute y'all, his mugshot right there and reading the article. And I remember being like, Oh shit. Like, Oh,
0: (laughs) national level news.
1: Yeah. National level news. Cause it was such a weird crime. Right. And so I remember being like, good Lord. And so You know, then I start doing family research because I'm like, okay, this does not happen in a vacuum. How did this person become like this? And that's when I found out, you know, my grandpa was a bigamist and had like 16 children and had side hose, you know, galore. And then my great grandpa, I found this out on Christmas Eve this year that he was also a bigamist. He had a woman, like one in Arkansas, one in Alabama. My family's all from the South. So I'm like, he had, you know, a chick in every state basically, And, you know, I told my sister, I was like, oh my God, great grandpa was a bigamist too. And we just kind of laughed because we're like, oh, it's on brand for our family, you know, why not? And then we made the joke, like one of us has to be a bigamist, you know, now we have to carry on (laughs) this family tradition of bigamy, like multiple generations, but like, we're kidding, obviously, but like, you know, you have to use humor to like cope through these really weird situations. Um, by the way, one funny part about all this that my family continually loses it over is that my dad's like dating app or like dating site screen name one was international male 69 and the other was boy howdy 51. Like, cringe, really, (laughs) like so cringe. Absolutely cringe. I laugh, I laugh.
0: Oh God, like, uh, and you tell me all these stories and how like it was on Thanksgiving that November when you found out about this other woman and you're sitting at the beach with your dad at one of the nice, really nice parks.
1: And my family just like, you know, just lost it, you know, like typical. It was just very typical, just like very chaotic. I mean, you know, I don't mean to say like, I'm not here to say a bunch of bad things about my dad because I actually was very close with him. I was actually very close with my father. And I know that may come as a shock. Did we have at times a toxic relationship at one does with a narcissist, you know, that's typical, but you know, my dad and I, we did love each other. You know, that's just what it barrels down to. Um, And of course, you know, it was confusing when he left, he came back multiple times. Obviously the bigamy thing was a, total mindfuck for our entire family to kind of process and deal with. But he and I were very close at the end of his life. And we had a lot of good conversations. He owned a lot of his shit in a narcissistic way. Of course. I'll talk about that later. Like <laughs> Towards it was the end direct, of his life. you know, It wasn't a direct, I own this. It was like, you know, like, you know, like a parable essentially, <laughs> you know, read between the lines. Um, but it's, it's. I am very grateful for the time I got with him at the end and that he and I ended on such a good note, like despite all the craziness, despite everything, he and I really, really ended on a good note. And because of his narcissism, I always thought he would die somewhere where he didn't want to be found. And he always said that was like his dream was to die anonymously like his father did. He actually did not know his father had died until like four years after the fact, so mm-hmm. that was like his dream. And he had daddy issues, of course. So he wanted to surpass anything his father did. So I he told me one time he'd like to just die out in the middle of the jungle in the Philippines and no one would ever find him. That was his dream. So I always thought that's how it would go down. So the fact that we actually had time together and had good conversations is like a narcissist like miracle, right? So I'm grateful, but it also turned into this really ugly, nasty lawsuit. So I'm like, that was great that we had that, but now it's turned into this shit show.
0: (laughs) A year and a half of a shit show. And like, unfortunately, it's part of the complications that he was with and one of part of his legacy. And so like, what were some of the things that happened um, before he died?
1: That's a really good question. So for me, there were a lot of red flags before he died with this caregiver. And again, I've never met them. I've never met anyone affiliated with them. I really did not know these people existed until like he died. And then I finally started hearing like names. So I did ask my dad at one point because I knew he had a caregiver, right? And I knew it was his first wife from the 70s. So just out of curiosity, I asked my dad, you know, well, you know, what's like the nature of all this. And my dad says, she's just a caregiver. She's a bitch. That's it. And I was just like, okay, great. Yep.
0: And it was it was... Com-
1: yeah. That, my co- That was common for him to say things like that. And I always told him, you know, if you don't like where you're at, I'll come get you, you know, You could live with me, but he was my dad. He didn't want to be a burden to me. And I'm like his youngest child, you know, he and I were always very close. And like, he just would never want to burden me that way. So he rarely mentioned the caregiver or the caregiver's adult children. But like, if he did, it was like some passing comment, like, oh, they're weird crackheads or living here's like living in a crack house. (laughs) I'm like, dad, what does that mean? Like I, you know, ask that question, like, what do you mean? And he's just like, would well, just reiterate it. It's like living in a crack house, Simone. And I'm like, well, do you need me to come get you? No. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, this is weird. Why is he saying this? But then, you know, there were many conversations where I could hear the caregiver screaming at him. So for example, one time I called and I remember this so vividly because I was going to pick up teriyaki for myself. Cause I was like, I just remember being really hungry and like scurrying to get my teriyaki. And I'm like, okay, my dad called me, let me call him back. And she screamed at him, Patrick, who the fuck are you talking to? And he was like, my child, Simone, like, It was just very weird and then I could hear him go in a room and shut the door and he was just like I'm so fucking tired of this and I was like that sounds like she's isolating you and he was just like well yeah but you know I'm sick what am I supposed to do and again it's like you know you can come live with me you can we can figure it out but again he just he just didn't want to burden me but at the end of his life he was so sick I mean I'm so transparent about what he had you know, he had um, stage four lung cancer at the end and congestive heart failure, kidney failure, um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease disorder or something like diabetes. Like he, his medical records are so extensive. And so he was very isolated. And when we were Zooming, he always felt like restricted, like his eyes were looking around, like somebody was watching him and he couldn't speak freely. And so after his first and only chemo treatment, um, he had a nosebleed that they couldn't get to clot. And so he was in the hospital for about two weeks. And that was when he seemed more like himself because he was not around this caregiver. So that was the perkiest I had seen him like in years. He was speaking so freely. He was seemed happy that she wasn't there. You know, he was telling me about how much he loved me, you know, my sibling, my mom, you know, it was, it was him. It was him. Right. Yeah. And so, it was, as you know,
0: him and loved him.
1: Exactly. Like, that's my dad. I know that this is him. So, yeah. And then he died about two weeks later.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing that um, with narcissists, too, like we mentioned that the caregiver was the first wife back from the (laughs) 1970s is somebody it sounds like he had hooks in. But also from the description that you're describing, I think she had highly unhealthy narcissistic behaviors as well.
1: I think, yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't know this person. I can't speak to it. But based on the actions like I have in front of me, like documented stuff, I would say that's likely.
0: Yep. And two narcissists found each other. And this will be in another future episode. Like (laughs) one reason why he divorced her was because she cheated on him. And of course, like you never cheat with a narcissist like they cheat on you and I mean, so she in this had a case baby
1: with an italian hitchhiker that she picked up so that could be a whole podcast in and of itself
0: so italian many hitchhiker. so many podcasts yes <laughs> so, italian really, so, much content.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so much content but yeah i mean there were like red flags like before but then there were red flags like after too right so it's basically like everything was confirmed to me the day he died So the night before he died, he and I were texting and he shared that he didn't feel good. And he actually misspelled Hmm. a word, which is very weird for him because he was very precise in the way he texted things, wrote things. He liked to have very precise language. So in hindsight, he should have been like in the hospital in hospice. Like There should have been just like more care and eyes around him. Um, So he said, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I love you. Right. That was the last time he and I spoke. So he passed away the following morning around 7 30 AM and he was found by the caregiver and judging by like the nine one one records, it seems very confirmed that the caregiver knew he had died. Um, But they don't call nine one one until about an hour later. And so that's like a question mark. And then no one told me that my dad had died. Oh shit. Yeah. That's a weird thing. So I have no idea. I'm going about my day. He and I usually spoke about one o'clock. So one o'clock comes and goes, it's two. Then I'm like, where is he? So I text my dad, Hey dad, like, are we still on for today or something like that? And no response. Right. And then she had his phone obviously. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. I get this call and you know, one day I'm not sure about the legal stuff, but I'd love to play that voice message for people to listen to Tony. You've heard it. It's, it's yeah. An interesting one where basically she says, Your father passed away this morning and then hangs up. That's it. That's it. There's literally it. There's nothing else. And so to me, it's like if someone's father passes away, you want to tell them where they were when they died, how they died, where they are now, all these kind of key pieces, but there was no information. And that to me shows that she didn't want me involved at all and she Mm-mm. didn't want to share information. That's a big red flag.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Like when they are in the throes of their um, scheming, he might say, and their manipulations, they are very curt and very cold and like huge, big red flag. And so uh, what proceeded after that? What did you do?
1: So I hit the ground running and I called coroners, hospitals, um, funeral homes, trying to find where my dad's body was or how he died. Um, I knew that she wasn't going to be forthcoming with me. So I figured I'm going to have to just find everything out on my own. Um, and so I, that was hard because it's like, you can't go through a grief process. Normally when your father dies, you know, you have more things in your control and you can go through a grief process. I wasn't Mm -hmm. allowed that because of her actions. I had to like start hustling and like calling, like, fucking hospitals and people who answered my phone calls to me asking where my if they knew where my dad's body was people were horrified that I was yeah. having to do that they were horrified they're like why didn't this caregiver tell you and I'm like I don't know like there's something sketch going on here and they're like yeah that's really sketch <laughs> yep. so then things get weird right so then my father's employer major oil company tells me I'm the only beneficiary the day after he died, which makes sense because that's what he had told me. Um, then like suddenly later that week it becomes, there's two beneficiaries. All of a sudden I'm splitting everything 50, 50 with this caregiver. And I'm like, that's really odd. So I kind of let things sit because you just don't know, right? Like there's so Mm -hmm. much that happens. So months later, A whistleblower from this major oil company texts me documents and screenshots from their system showing a login and beneficiary change on October 12th, 2021. My dad died October 10th, 2021. It also showed logins in November, December, even into January, 2022. There's a letter dated December 2nd from the company that is addressed to my father saying, congrats, you changed your beneficiaries. So all of this is obviously a concern and needs to be looked at.
0: Oh yeah, obviously. If not by the by their own internal investigations and their own HR department and their own, um, trying to think what they're called in the army, but their own investigators to investigate like the biotic processes and everything to see if it's all kosher by regulation and law and their own internal policies. Yeah, and there's a reason why major federal agencies are also. Potentially involved in this investigation.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, there'll be a whole episode unpacking exactly what this company did. Don't worry, I'm like looking my chops for that episode.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> where there's in the case of hundreds of thousands of dollars and all the death benefits and everything that goes along with a employee, an active employee, even though he was retired, quote unquote, but passing away, all these things should have gone solely to you, only to have see it not go to you as soon as possible. And you still have not received anything from my understanding.
1: The um, whole complicated, the life insurance is on hold, um, but the pension part was paid out 50 50, but there is a court order for neither of us to spend anything. But like at the same time, you know, who's going to check that. Right. So people mm. in theory could spend that, but thankfully, you know, like there's, there's ways to find that information out, I would assume. So we'll see, we'll see. But um, yeah so everything's technically on hold, but yeah they all also- there's no
0: check saying that hey, this bank is not going to say we need to put a hold on this money like that exactly. some person could move exactly. it, and unless there's like a subpoena for those bank records, yep, exactly. it's probably gone. yep, <laughs> so what is the uh caregiver's stance in all this?
1: That's a really good question uh, so when you file a lawsuit, you know you're, the other party's given a certain amount of time to respond essentially and Their primary stance in their response is that I have animosity towards them and that I'm jealous. And that's exactly what's stated in their affidavit. But I mean, here's some reasons why that doesn't make sense. You know, I'm my father's child and I'm his legal heir. So adjectives or feelings are irrelevant because the law says like no matter what I would inherit his, you know, stuff as his child, right? Yep. Um I've never met this person and so I'm not sure where these adjectives like come from because we've never met. So I don't know, you know, it's just interesting to me how these adjectives come out after a lawsuit's filed. You know, it's it's very reactive. It's not proactive. It's reactive to what, you know, to my lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Um and another fact is that I filed this lawsuit after the whistleblower sent me screenshots. And I'm going to say that again for everyone in the back. I filed my lawsuit after the whistleblower sent me screenshots showing beneficiary designations had been changed.
0: After your father's death.
1: After he died, after I got the will. So for context, I saw his will had been changed six weeks before he died. That in and of itself is sketch, right? I think any person on this planet would say a terminally ill person being forced to change their will six weeks before they die is sketch. So I get the will and I see that the caregiver is set to inherit my father's entire estate. If I had jealousy, animosity, I feel like I would have filed a lawsuit then, you know, like. I don't have jealousy and animosity, so I can only speculate. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't. So I filed the lawsuit March, 2022 after the care or not the caregiver, but the whistleblower sent me the screenshots. So Mm -hmm. it was like, I think any reasonable person who gets screenshots showing beneficiary change designations related to their parents' estate, I think it's reasonable that they would file a lawsuit like any you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who would let that just go right so then I filed a lawsuit and all of a sudden the narrative about me being um jealous animosity you know there's a taped police interview where you know there's a lot of you know shit said about me but it's interesting because she also acknowledges she's never met me yeah so it doesn't make sense
0: and within a court of law, it's not about the feelings involved, but it's about the the evidence are that are about. Yes.
1: Yeah, the feelings are irrelevant. So um, to me, it's just like there's a really odd pattern of behavior here. There's a lot of odd things happening, and I think they need to be looked at by a court of law. That's all.
0: Absolutely. So where's the lawsuit today? We're about <laughs> almost getting up to a year, about 10 months from that lawsuit being filed.
1: Yeah. Um, we're trying to work with the other side. You know, We're trying to work with the caregiver and her attorney, but they've ghosted us. And this has caused serious delays. You know, The point of this lawsuit and my intention is to just examine everything and resolve this issue so everyone can move on with their lives, right? No one wants to be in a lawsuit, but that's really hard when the other side literally does not respond to my attorneys. We've been trying to get in contact with them since October. It's January. It's been basic silence since then. So like, no, my attorneys are like, we've never seen anything like this before. This is like ridiculous. So like one example is that I requested, before I filed the lawsuit, I did request an accounting inventory of my father's estate last February. There'll be more details about that because that was tied to like stuff going on with the life insurance. Um, I didn't get that accounting inventory until July. And guess what? It was fucked up. It wasn't correct. There was no documentation. There was nothing substantial nothing that we had actually requested was on there so we're like yeah can you like redo that and they did but guess what it's fucked up again there's no there's like you know well one funny part is the king henry the costume that's in the inventory and i find that fucking hilarious with my father being a bigamist and like he had a king henry the eighth costume
0: Of course he would. (laughs) That's hilarious. I'm like, of
1: course he would. Everyone just laughed about that because we're like, of course he would. Like, what other kind of costume would he have, you know? So that was funny. But it was also like, that's just one thing. So we request that in February. Then we really don't get it until September and then October and then just absolute silence. So it's frustrating. It's a, you know, lack of, of just, you know, etiquette. Respect for my attorneys, the situation, the courts, the judges involved. So it's just really hard. But I mean, it is an active police investigation and adult protective services and, you know, other potential bodies. So it's just like it's all in the right channels. It'll take time. But I just wish that, you know, the other side would communicate. Yeah. They can tell me to fuck off if they want, just as long as they say something. <laughs>
0: And it totally sounds like another narcissistic thing to do that a narcissist would do is just like complete silence. Just like, oh yeah, the wall of silence is deadening. And it's it's interesting that this person has brought in this attorney that's working for them and like, they're not working. Like usually attorneys generally talk cordially with each other, but it sounds like she has totally ropes this other individual, this lawyer of hers in her world and is manipulating and gaslighting her to where,
1: yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can only speculate. I will say that her attorney has a lot of shitty one star reviews for bad communication. So, this just could be on brand for this attorney. Like, I can sit here all day long and speculate, but like, I probably won't know the answer, you know.
0: So, you hear that, folks? Do not hire an attorney with one star reviews, they will not help you very well.
1: Yeah, you won't get your, yeah, please don't because yeah, this has been a rodeo with that attorney.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Get one that has really good reviews like I did for my second marriage, especially the one against the uh, narcissistic individual. And it was smooth because he could communicate well like, with her. Yeah, he it was, was very smooth.
1: That was very smooth. That was a good, that was good work.
0: Yeah, costly. But when uh, you're dealing with somebody like that, it's definitely worth the money to get them out of your life. hmm so is there anything you would like to say to the caregiver if they were here right now?
1: <laughs> you know, it's like one of those things where it's just like, you know, I could reach out and be like, hey, you want to be on my podcast? You, know? <laughs> really you want to talk about you. it? Yeah, that would really get a fuck you out of it. <laughs> um, honestly, no, like this person wasn't significant to my father, is not significant to me or my family. So they, I mean, they worked in a very transactional capacity. And to me, it's clear that, you know, their motivation is greed and that sucks, but, you know, they, their actions are coming to light. It's being examined, it's being addressed, you know, it's being investigated. So, but as far as saying anything, like there's nothing to say, you know what I mean? Like there's just, okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Except give me my money. So (laughs) (laughs) that would be very, very nice. But through the lawyers, of course, Exactly. such, wow. So, what would be your intent or hope with this podcast?
1: It's a few different things. And it's interesting because, you know, obviously my family has a long, very complex, interesting, you know, history that's, you know, unique and eccentric, you know, let's call it for what it is. But it doesn't have an end. So, it's something that's like still in motion, like with this lawsuit and just the everything is so crazy with the lawsuit um, that it's just like I felt like it was time to document this story and where it's at now. And like I said, there's other elements of like, you know, awareness about fraud, awareness about caregivers, and, you know, being careful, people who are motivated by greed. And it's just been a long journey with my dad and like our relationship. And relationships with narcissists are complex. And I wanna share that people, you know, like you're not alone in your journey. There's there's quite the community of people that have dealt with narcissists or you know, people who lean more towards narcissistic behaviors and it is a healing process, but it's there, you know, it's like, I want to be here to support people that are, you know, experiencing really crazy, crazy family shit as it barrels down to, because like <laughs> Lord knows I've dealt with quite a bit in my time. So I just want people to know that like, you know, we're out here, we're here to support you. And like, you know, hopefully listening provides some comfort, meet Hopefully, some laughs, you know, about the whole thing. And so, yeah, that's basically the intent so far.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's very interesting when I talk to other people who have been with people who have uh, very toxic relationships and or uh, dealt with people who are negative and unhealthy narcissists. Like you tell them stories, and they tell you stories. You're like, "Yep, yep, I'm not <laughs> looking at you crazy." Yeah. You're not crazy. I I feel you. I understand you. And that's, that's where point. I feel like this is a good safe space for people to hear what's happened in your life, in my life, and maybe other people's lives once we bring him on the podcast. And uh, we all have some good laughs after the fact of we're still healing. Yeah, holy shit. We're working through survive?
1: it. Like, it's literally <laughs> like, you know one, you know, my dad kind of described his behavior. He one time told me he liked to blow things up and that he liked to nuke things. And that was true. And then before he died, he affectionately called me his little cockroach for surviving all his nuclear warfare. And like for him, that's a high compliment. That is the highest praise the man could give anyone. Right. That's like has more oomph than I love you. Right. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm so proud of you, my little cockroach. And it's just like, yeah, thanks dad. Like I know that's his way of just, you know, (laughs) But you're, you bring up a good point about yeah. validating people's experience. I think it's such a huge thing when dealing with these complex relationships is that it can be an isolating experience. And you're just kind of like, what the fuck am I seeing dealing with? And they make it so like, they make it just such a weird experience that you kind of lose that grounding of what normal is. And so it's helpful to have people like validate like your experience, like, oh, I went through mm-hmm. the same shit and like, damn, that was crazy.
0: Oh, Absolutely. And to, like, help you know, like we've said before, you're not alone in this experience. We're all in this together. And uh, let's let's show what some narcs can, people who have been the victims of narcs can actually do when they're no longer the victim anymore.
1: Yeah, that's so. why I'm excited for this lawsuit to, like, end at some point. Because it'll be nice to just kind of close, you know, a really crazy chapter of my life. And hopefully nothing weird comes up but, I mean at the same time it's my family you know I know my dad did some sketchy shit in his day so I know something's gonna come up and bite me in the ass someday but <laughs> <laughs> hopefully this is the big last push
0: <laughs> yes hopefully it's the big last push and you're not meeting any other uh step siblings out there
1: yeah god or anything who knows who knows yeah. who knows yep. there's probably other wives though I would bet that like <laughs> that King Henry VIII I'm like that's that means something that's like that's
0: on par That's
1: fine. He's got like other wives out there. He probably does.
0: It's true. And, uh, you know, with talking about royalty, we'll have to talk about your uh, ancestor, too. I think her name was Agnes, who was.
1: uh, Yeah, she was like the first royal mistress of some French king. So, yeah, that's my whole family. When I say from start to finish, we're like eccentric. We really are.
0: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Who had her tits out in the royal court. Yeah, um, just for not? all for everybody to see apparently they are great tits so yeah, i mean why not great.
1: and she apparently was like painted in several like paintings and things like that so she was just like a hottie so and that's another thing my family's very attractive like we're all hot people and like i'm like damn
0: <laughs> it carries on hundreds of it years later it
1: carries on it carries on the appeal carries on but yeah i think next time you know i wasn't sure how to structure this but i think next time we're just going to go kind of in chronological order i think i'll start with the lawsuit like more context around the life insurance part of it because that was a shit show in and of itself Mm -hmm. and go from there and of course obviously provide updates as they come in um and anything else that comes up i'm still doing family research um on my great grandpa and i'm just like how many bigamists like how far back does this go so let's we won't be surprised if there's more like
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, I mean, I've been keeping track of how many episodes we could have. I'm currently at fifty three so oh. I think we are uh good to go with the large amounts of content for we this have lots uh... of
1: content plan for everyone. but I really appreciate everyone listening and like like basically spending time with us and like giving us I don't even know how long this has been going on like you know, 30, 40 minutes, just giving us some of your time and listening. And hopefully it's been helpful, entertaining, but like, we're open to feedback. We're both a little new at this. So like any feedback around recording, you know, or any content you'd like to see, we're happy to make that happen. Just send us, send us a DM.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. We are on Instagram, I believe. Um,
1: and Twitter. Yeah. And Instagram Twitter
0: now. Okay.
1: Yeah. I think I'll start a YouTube and put some of this on YouTube. I mean, why not? You know? um, Yeah. We're figuring all that out.
0: (laughs) Yep. We're in the, we're beginning stages of all this. So just wait out for that and uh, yeah, we'll tag it all in. Sounds good.
1: Great. All right. right. I hope y'all have a great night and we will talk next week.
0: Yeah. Y'all have a great night and stay tuned.
1: (laughs) Bye everyone.
0: Bye.